All right, praise God for all of our children and for the workers downstairs. And praise God for Romans 8, 31 through 39. Talk about triumphant, huh? Isn't that great? It's like a buildup of grace. Like the summation and the, the peak, the, the highest point of God's grace being revealed to us. So we will begin with prayer, and then we will dig into verses 31 through 34 this morning. Tonight in the evening service, I'll cover 35 through 39. So we'll divide it up into two sections. Oh, it's wonderful. Let's pray. Father, we have been filled, filled with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God as we not only have offered prayer to you, but we have read your Word together as a family. We have sung together the great praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. You have already spoken to us through the hymns that we have sung. You have even reminded us heavily of our need to be in missions and to reach the lost with the gospel. And now we open our heart and our mind to you, that you might fill us with your grace and glory through the word of God. Oh, we are grateful for the riches of the word. There's nothing that compares to this text, Father. And so help us to understand and to respond and to believe and to obey, that you might do a work in us, changing us more and more into the image of Christ. And we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. May we be faithful to the end, in Jesus' name, amen. So I have been teaching high school at uh, Proctor for 26 years. I just finished my 26th year of teaching at the school, and I taught a few years in Superior prior to that. And do you know my favorite thing? No, it's not summer vacation. My favorite thing is to give tests. I love tests. As a matter of fact, I loved taking tests when I was growing up. Like in high school, anytime the teacher said, test on Friday or whatever, I'd be like, yes. I mean, I was weird. Honestly, I, I, there is something I love taking a test. I really do. And, um, you know, I didn't really like the multiple choice ones because that was like, oh, that's crazy. But just, yeah, test, give it to me. Fill in the blank, whatever. Now, anybody else here that, that loves taking tests in school? Anybody else? Come on. Yes. One, only two. Yes. There we go. Thank you for being bold. So the rest of you don't like taking tests. Well, I'm sorry, but, but let me tell you what's going on in Romans 8. It is like a, uh, like a mid-book test. We are now at the end of chapter 8. There are 16 chapters in Romans. We are halfway. We are at the midpoint. And it is almost like the Apostle Paul is writing out six questions for a test. And he's telling his audience, can you answer these six questions? We're going to take five of them this morning and one of them tonight. All right, five this morning that are really an examination of our great faith in Jesus Christ. And my goal my desire is that each one of you, whether you're here in person or listening to this today or at some later date, that each one of you can answer these six questions confidently, triumphantly, and faithfully. And so uh, that's really the goal. The goal is to see what do we know about our faith and how do we respond. 
So there's five questions this morning. Let's take jumping right into chapter 8, verse 31. The first question is a question that is needing a response. And listen, in the Bible, there's no response given. So we're going to have to respond on our own. Let me show it to you. Look at Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? All right, that's it. Then he jumps into the next question. So we're going to pause and, and, and look for the needed response to this question. Again, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of God, says, What then shall we say to these things? Well, guess what we need to know, everybody? I need to know what are these things that he's talking about so I know what to say about them. Because I can't say anything about something I don't know about. So what are the these things that he wants me to say something about? It could be that Paul is referring to all of the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 8 thus far. What shall I say about Romans 1 through 8? Wow, is what I can say, because in Romans 1 through 8, he deals with how all mankind is under the divine wrath of God. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl is under God's divine wrath because we have sinned against him in thought, word, and deed. We are in Adam, rebellious, sinful creatures, and all deserving of eternal death. That is the tragic news, the bad news of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Then he moves to the good news of how the grace of God rescues us from our sin. What shall we say then to chapters 1 through 8 as we looked at how God's grace overshadows our, our um, sinful actions and attitudes and thoughts that deserve wrath? Our response should be the deepest gratitude. We should fall on our face and say, thank you, Lord. I deserve eternal punishment and you have given me eternal life. I deserve eternal, eternal separation. You have given me eternal companionship. But it should also produce the deepest humility in us, shouldn't it? The greatest of humility. It could be that Paul is saying, what shall we say then to these things? Meaning just chapter 8. That's like very recent. Maybe it's not the whole book. Maybe it's just chapter 8. Do you know what the Holy Spirit has done? Upon my faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has indwelt me. The, the Spirit of God. The person of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, lives in me. What shall we say then to that? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Hallelujah. Because not only has the spirit of God indwelt me, he empowers me, he convicts me, he guides me, he has adopted me into his family as a son so that I can say to my father in heaven, Abba, Father. Now listen, not all of us maybe grew up with godly dads. Maybe all of us don't have a great relationship with our fathers. But can I tell you this? There's no earthly father that is adequate. They all have failed in some degree. Even the most perfect earthly father that you have. But we have a heavenly father who is perfect. He never makes a mistake. And he cares and he loves. And he, he is our father and we are his children. And we can cry out saying, Abba, Daddy, Papa. Um, not only that, but the Holy Spirit is going to liberate the curse of this earth someday and as well resurrect our bodies for eternal glory. What shall we say then to chapter 8 of Romans? Praise God. Or it could be just that 
the very last thing Paul spoke about, what shall we say then to the idea that we are foreknown of God? Like before there was anything, before there was a heaven and earth, before anything existed, God the Father knew me. He knew my name. He knew everything about me. He knew everything I would do. He knew when I would get up and when I would go to bed. He knew where I would work. He knew who my family was. He knew who I would marry. He knows when I'm going to die. He knows it all. He has foreknown me. And because of my faith in Jesus, he has predestined me to be made into the image of Christ someday. It's going to happen. No matter what, I can't stop it. He's going to make me like Jesus someday. And he has called me, and he has justified me when I put my faith in him, and he, he has, or will in my case, future, glorify me. What shall we say then to these things? Oh, praise God, right? Well, really what this question's all about is this. Let me ask you a question that goes with this. How do you respond to God's word? How do you respond to God's word? Because that's what Paul's getting at. What shall we say then to these things? It's demanding that we need to respond to God's word every time we hear it. Listen, everybody, when you open God's word to read it on a typical day, God is asking you and really wanting you to respond to his word. You cannot look at God's word like any other book. You need to look at God's word and respond to it. And if you ever open your Bibles, if you ever listen to a message, if you ever sing a hymn and you do not respond to it, your heart gets a little harder and the light gets a little dimmer. Take your Bibles, hold your place there, go with me to John chapter 12. Let me tell you how Jesus, in his last public teaching, before he died on the cross, the last time he speaks in public, John chapter 12, look at what he says. John chapter 12, verse 35. The enemies, the Jewish people, are attacking Jesus, who says he is God. And so Jesus has told them clearly that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 35 of John 12, Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Here it is. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from him. But although he had done so many signs, see, they had so much light. He had done so many signs before them. They did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? The answer is not many. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? All people. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So here's what he's saying. Every time you come to the word of God and you do not respond positively. What are my options? Think of a multiple choice test. You hear the word of God. You hear me talk about the gospel today. And you could do this. Number one, you could receive it enthusiastically. Do you know what the word enthusiastic means in the Greek? En theos. Theos means God, and means in. If you are enthusiastic, you are in God. So you could receive the word of God today by believing it and obeying it, receiving it enthusiastically. You could receive it with a sense of, I'm going to see if I agree with it first. And if I agree with it, and if it seems to meet me where I want to be met, then maybe I'll do something about it. It could be that. You're going to test God's word, but if it doesn't line up with you, then forget it. 
It could be that you are simply indifferent. You're like, I don't care one way or the other. It was nice, but it's not me. Or you could respond to it with rebellion and hardness of heart. You have all these options. So here's what happens. If you respond negatively or indifferently to the word of God, the next time you hear it, the light is not as strong and your heart is not as soft. So pretty soon your heart grows hard. The next time you hear it and you don't respond, your heart gets harder. Then it gets harder and the light gets dimmer and the light gets dimmer and pretty soon you're walking in darkness and you will not believe because you did not believe. There's a progression. Here, you want an example? Psalm 27. In Psalm chapter 27, the King David says this, Lord, you said, you told me, seek your face. I said in my heart, yes, Lord, your face I will seek. That's the kind of response God wants. God says, seek my face, people. And we respond in our heart, Lord, you said, seek my, your heart. I will seek your heart, Lord. I will turn to you. I will look to you. I will receive you. It's a beautiful thing. You know what James says about listening and hearing the word of God? Anybody ever audit a class? Most of my degree, most of my education outside of high school has been for credit. And you know what that means? It means you have to do every homework assignment, write every paper, and you have to remember everything. But if you audit a class, you guess what? I've audited some classes before just because I didn't want the workload. And I really didn't get much. I mean, I heard things and I learned some things, but it never got down in my heart because I just simply heard. So James chapter 1 Listen to what James chapter 1 says about hearing and obeying. In James, he says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word, that word hearer of the word, it means to audit a class. It means you're just auditing Christianity. You're hearing, you're going to walk away, Dad, don't worry about the homework, you don't have any tests to take, no pressure, you're just listening. And then you walk away and do nothing with it, you don't respond. James 1.23 says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, you don't receive it and respond to it positively. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, he peers into it. He's taking it for credit. He's, he's getting something out of it and continues in it. He's obeying it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. What shall we say then to these things? God is saying, how will you respond to my message of grace? Because if you don't respond positively today, you'll hear it again next week. But it's going to be a little fainter and your heart's a little harder. And eventually, you'll walk away. Very important. This book is not just like any book. This is a unique book. This is the word of God. Look at the second question. Go back to Romans chapter 8. So we have a question that demands a response. Now we have a question of opposition. Romans chapter 8. The end of verse uh, 31 says this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Famous text. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you know that God is for you? That the God of the creation, the God of heaven and earth, the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God is on your side. He is for you. Not everybody has believed this. Do you know that? Not everybody has believed this. 
Job. When Job was going through his trials, in uh, chapter, let me see here, Job chapter 13, listen to this. I had it memorized and I just blinked out. Job chapter 13, verse 24, here's what Job said. Why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? He is suffering so badly that Job looks up to God, whom he believes and whom he trusts, and he says, God, why are you my enemy? Why is your face set against me? Why do you hate me so bad? And of course, then God has to work in his heart to reveal again who he is, and Job is humbled. Jeremiah. You know the prophet Jeremiah? Probably not a stronger, godly, amazing man in the Bible than Jeremiah. And yet, do you know what he says when he is so overwhelmed with the pressures of the nation, the enemy Babylon coming down to destroy Jerusalem? What Jeremiah says in chapter 15, verse 18 is, Lord, why have you not been dependable? Why are you unreliable like a stream that fades away? I run to you for help and you are not there. I look to you and you are gone. Why, Lord? Why are you not for me? Can you imagine Jeremiah said that at one point? And then do you want to know the very next verse in Jeremiah 15? God says, return to me, Jeremiah, and I will make you my mouthpiece one more time. See, Jeremiah went off not, not thinking God is for him, that God was against him. But I want you to know God is not against you. You know, Google, Google keeps track of um, what you Google. You know, they keep track of, you know, who Googles what about what, I guess. I mean, I'm sure they track you about everything that goes on on the Internet. But you know what one of the top questions about God, when people Google about God, one of the top questions is, God, why do you hate me? Can you imagine? There are people, most people on this planet think God hates them. Well, God is for us. Who can be against us? Uh, Great question. It's a question of opposition. Do you want to know who can be against us? Get this. Satan, the fallen angel, is against us. There you go. That's a prominent enemy that you have. Not only Satan, but his, his entourage of demons, which probably re- represents a third of all the angels created. A third are demons, fallen angels, and all of them are against you. How do you feel now? You have Satan against you. You have the one-third of the angelic realm who are now evil, fallen angels. They are against you. Oh, let me tell you this. All the unsaved world is against you. All the unsaved population is against you. So you have all of these peoples and entities against you. But guess what? It doesn't matter. Why? Because God is for you. And God has all power, all strength. He has all wisdom. And he is on your side because your faith is in him. Doesn't that give you confidence? I don't, like, I don't care what the world does to us. They don't win. But because I'm in Christ, who can stand against me? And the answer is no one. No one will stand against us because in the end, we will stand and they will fall and be crushed. It's just the way it is. It's amazing. Not too long ago on a Wednesday night, I I preached um, Psalm 3. 
Psalm 3 is a wonderful psalm of King David. Back when he was being chased out of Jerusalem by his own son, Absalom was a traitor, wanting to kill his dad, kicked his dad off the throne, so King David's running for his life. He gets to the top of the Mount of Olives, and he writes Psalm 3, and he says, Oh, Lord, get this. Okay, now David has a lot of enemies against him. David writes this and says, Oh, Lord, though ten thousands of men come against me, who cares? What? David, you're running for your life. The nation hates you. Absalom hates you. You're a wanted man. And yet he says, though ten thousands go against me, it just does not matter because I'm with you, God. Do you like that? You want to hear one more great one from the scriptures? I love David and Jonathan. The story of David and Jonathan. They became loyal friends. Their souls were knit together because of their faith in the Lord. And do you want to know why, do you want to know why Jonathan and David were such close friends? What did David do that was so great? He killed a giant Goliath by himself. Remember that story? But do you want to know why I think they were so knit together in their heart? Because Jonathan did something just as heroic. Israel, under King Saul, Jonathan's King Saul's son, they are going against the Philistines and everybody is afraid. And Saul has said, put the brakes on. We got to figure this out. Should we even go against the Philistines? I don't think they're, they're too big. They're, they have weapons we don't. As this is no, yeah. And so Saul is, is wishy-washy and he's back at camp going, should we, shouldn't we, should we? Uh, they're too big, we're too small, that kind of thing. So Jonathan takes his armor bearer, just the two of them, he creeps out of camp. He crawls hand. The Bible says he crawls with his hands and feet. He's like crawling in, up a mountain. And he says to the armor bearer, let's conquer the Philistines on our own. Can you imagine that? And then he says this. The arm, what, if you were his armor bearer, what would you be saying? Uh, there's two of us and you have one weapon and, and nobody else. And we're going against hundreds and thousands. And Jonathan turns towards the armor bearer and says, what is it to God whether he saves by many or by few. God can do anything. If God be for us, who can be against us? So, so Jonathan's like, God is for us. God can save with one man. He can save with a million men. He doesn't need anybody. So let's go. And guess what? Jonathan wins. Isn't that amazing? If God be for us, who can be against us? One last thing before we move to the third question. I think what you really want in your heart, each of you in this room, you want in your heart is one thing. You want to be accepted, right? Why do we wear the clothes we wear? To be accepted. Why do we do the things we do and say the things we say? Because we just want acceptance. We want to be accepted by others. And some people will go to great extreme to be accepted by others. Can I say this? You, as a believer in Jesus, are accepted by God. He has accepted you. By your faith in Jesus, you are his. You are accepted, and he is for you. No one will stand against you. Praise God for that. What's the third question? Let's go back to the Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. How are you doing on the test so far? What shall we say then to these things? Well, you better respond positively and enthusiastically. If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is an easy one. No one can stand against us. No one can be against us. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, 
but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This is a question about God's grace. So there's a question is, but will God really take care of me? Sure, I have salvation and Jesus died for me, but will he really take care of me? It's a question of God's grace. And what's the answer? Absolutely. And the argument is an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God did not spare his only son, by the way, the son of God, Jesus, and God the Father and God the Spirit forever in eternity past had perfect fellowship. You know that as far back in eternity as you can go, which we can't even fathom because we're mindset creatures in a space-time continuum. But outside of time, God has always existed and the Father, Son, and Spirit have an intimate relationship. And on the cross, when Jesus died for our sin, God the Father separated himself from his Son. They have never been separated in eternity past. Never, never, ever separated. Never was there a loss of fellowship in eternity past. But for those hours on the cross, God the Father refused fellowship with his son. And Jesus experienced an eternity in a lake of fire, separated from the Father and the Spirit, suffering torment for an eternity. If God did not spare his son, but delivered him up, he gave him over. Would any of you take your children and give, give them over to mass murderers and say, have your way with them? Would anybody take your innocent child and give him to somebody, a torturer, and say, go ahead and torture him. Make him suffer. Make him feel the pain. No, that would be terribly, terribly, horribly wrong. But God the Father said, for the sake of mankind, to rescue and to redeem mankind, I will allow my son to be delivered up to evil men. They will torture him. And then on top of that, I will lay all of man's sin upon Jesus. And I will punish my own son in mankind's place so they can be set free for no cost. Free, 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 no cost. What great love. How deep the Father's love for us. That we might be made his children. So if God is willing to do all of that, would he not freely give us all things? What's the answer? Of course he will. Now, you know, my wife, Melissa, likes diamond rings. No promises today on, it's Father's Day, by the way. No, um, it's um, no promises on more diamond rings. But when I, well, there'll be, there'll be another one coming. But when I buy Melissa a ring, do you know what they do at the jewelry place? They throw in a box. Yeah, they do. They just throw in a box like that. I'm like, and I'm like, cool, it's a box. It's, it's a cool box with a velvet, fake, fake velvet um, pouch or whatever. And it's like, they just throw that in. Why? Because I already paid. I already paid and got the greatest gift, the diamond ring. And then anything that they throw in after is just like, who cares? You know, we went and got glasses the other day. Both of us needed glasses. And... You know, with a new pair of glasses, you, guess what they give you? A glass case and a cleaning cloth. And then we had a problem with the glasses, so I had to bring them back and get new ones made. And, and, and then you know what they did? They gave us two extra 
carrying cases. So now I've got like three glass cases in my back seat. They're like of no value, but they were free. So I grabbed them and, and I'm like, I don't need them, but they're free because I paid for these. I got all this other stuff and, and who really cares? Let me ask you a question. What do you need? What do you need today? Do you need, do you need a job? He's already given you Christ. A, a job, it doesn't, like, that's no problem for the Lord. He could do it. It's, it's like he's already giving you the greatest. There's, this is no problem for him. You know. By the way, since he's already giving you the greatest, then nothing else really ultimately is going to matter that much. Do you need peace in a relationship? Do you need finances? Do you need health? Maybe your body's racked with the disease and you don't have health. Do you need health? That's a legitimate need, and we need to pray about that. But God has already given you the greatest thing, and, and even if you don't get the lesser thing, like if, they, if I buy a diamond ring and they don't give me the box, who cares? You know how many empty boxes of jewelry things we have? Tons. I don't need another empty box. The, the gem is what you need, right? So that's the, that's the perspective that he will, yes, he will freely give you all things. Let's look at the next question. Verse 33. This is a question of accusation. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Hmm. Good question. Who will bring a charge? The idea, it's a legal term. It's the idea of who will press charges against you. And let me tell you who's going to, you know what I think is in Paul's mind? I think Satan is in Paul's mind. I think God, I think Paul is writing and God is inspiring Paul to write about who is going to bring charges up against you. And you have one big adversary, Satan. He's called the slanderer and the accuser of the brethren. And do you know what he's doing today on Father's Day, June 20th? He is getting access to heaven. He's up in heaven, standing before the Father, saying, Brian Weed is guilty. He's failed this week. Let me list all the things Brian Weed has done in the past seven days. And look at him. He's standing in the pulpit preaching your word. He is guilty. Condemn him. Charge him. Do not let him continue. And can I tell you something? Everything Satan is telling God the Father right now is true. I have failed. I have sinned. I have not lived perfectly this past week. I am guilty as charged. But I have an advocate in heaven. And Jesus Christ stands up and says, I have paid it all. Everything Satan has said about Brian is true, but it's paid in full. And Father, you cannot take, you cannot get a second payment for it. So Brian is off the hook. He is free. He is justified. It is, is if he has a clean record, he has never sinned against you. Let him go, Father. And the Father lets me go because it is God who justifies. Isn't that great? Like, we all, have, listen, we all have our share of people that have charged us with wrong. I mean, I, over the years of ministry, I have emails and I have letters, a lot of unsigned letters, and I have texts. I have all sorts of things that people have accused me of and been angry at me and charged me and this and that. And, and um, you know, some of them I've, I've kept and others, you know, I throw away. And, and, um, but, but whatever, you know, and boy, is that like the heaviest feeling to realize, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I've failed. But praise God, it is God who justifies we are set free. Right? So it's a question of accusation. We are guilty, but God says, stop. I'm the judge, and I have set him free now and forever. Praise God. 
What a great question. In Revelation 12, verse 10, it does say Satan is the accuser of the brethren day and night, bringing accusations against you and me, not just me, but you and I. You know what he does? He tempts us. You know how crafty Satan is? He tempts us to sin. Like he's like, go ahead, Brian, do it. Nobody's watching. Nobody's looking. You can get away with it. Do it. You'll love it. You'll enjoy it. It's going to bring you all that satisfaction and peace and contentment that you're really longing for. God's not doing it, but this will. And then I do it. And then he taunts me. Ha, you did it. You did it. You did it. And now you're guilty, guilty, guilty. And God says, forget it. It's done. It's paid for. He's justified. Are you justified? Is your faith in Jesus alone? How do you go through life if you do not know Jesus? I don't know. I went through it 26 years. Miserable. Ended up with desiring to kill myself. I just, there was no hope in life. Guilty, I mean, really, guilt, guilt, guilt is all I could see in my life. I saw no forgiveness, no grace, no love, and then I met Jesus. Praise God. Let's, let's talk the next one. Verse 34. This will be our last text for the morning. The last question, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who is he who condemns? Hey, listen, everybody, I don't want to lose you. I know it's warm in here, and we've been going for quite a while. But listen, do you see, the, do you see how the questions have been going? Who is he who condemns? It almost sounds like who will bring a charge against us. So I think, and here, again, I'm just thinking, I have a lot of people that can condemn me. Honestly, I have many people, believers, unbelievers. I've got Satan, the angels. I mean, I've got tons of people that can condemn me. But you know who I think Paul might be referring to? In 1 John, listen to this text. 1 John chapter 3. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth. We shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Who is he who shall condemn? Do you want to know who condemns me the most? Satan doesn't. The, angel, the fallen angels don't. And even you don't condemn me the most. You want to know who condemns me the most? My own heart. I fail and I'm like, I'm a pastor. I've been a believer for a long time. Why did I just say that? Why did I just respond like that? I mean, I'm like, have I not learned? Have I not grown? Have I not changed? And my heart condemns me. But the next verse says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. He knows me and he loves me and he's accepted me. And even though my heart condemns me, God is faithful and God will never condemn me. So isn't that great? Who will condemn me? Why, why, why can I not even condemn myself when I feel guilty of my sin? Here's why. It is Christ who died. We already talked about that. And furthermore, is also risen. We have a risen Savior. And thirdly, he is at the right hand of, the God, of God, which means he ascended to heaven to the highest place of authority. And then listen to this last part. Who also, besides the Holy Spirit, God the Son also makes intercession for us. So the Holy Spirit makes intercession. God the Father is for us. And God the Son is interceding for me. All right, I'm going to wrap up with one last story. You know, in all my years of ministry and as a believer, there's a few things that have really made a, a big difference in my life. A few that I, I, like, I, could, I could define 
maybe four or five things in my life that were like life-shaping. So I was at a funeral in Brainerd. And, um, and I, don't, I mean, I know a lot of the people at the Brainerd Church, of course. And so we're having, after the funeral, we have a fellowship. We're all, people are eating dinner. And of course, I'm, I'm, in, I'm an introvert, but I am talking to a lot of people. And uh, one, man grabbed, one man grabbed my sleeve. He grabbed my arm. And, and I know this man. I'll, I'll tell you who it is. It's, it's Buck Aldridge. Um, he grabbed my arm. And Buck Aldridge used to be here at this church before, before I was even here. He left here before I was even here. So I, I never knew him here, but I know his family. But Buck grabbed my arm, and, and uh, he, he pulled me close. And he said, Pastor Wida, I want you to know that I pray for you every day. And I pray for, this, and I pray for the church in Hermantown. And, and I start crying, because, and I'm, like, I'm crying right now because he, he doesn't even know me. He doesn't, he doesn't know all my grossness and my sin and my attitude. I mean, he doesn't know me, and yet he's like, he's praying for me, and I believe it. He's praying for me every day. And I was like, that's the way I want to be. I want to be like that man. That, I'll never forget that. But guess what? I've got a greater one than Buck praying for me, interceding for me. Because right now, in my time of great need, like this is a time of great need for me, um, God the Son is at the right hand of the Father, leaning over to the Father saying, Father, look at Brian, he's a mess. He's got to finish this sermon and get ready for tonight, so let's help him out. Let's inter- I'm interceding for Brian down here. Isn't it great to know that your Savior is whispering into the ear of your Father, they need help. They need help. Let's help them. Oh, it's great. So, five questions. A mid-chapter a mid, mid test, how did you do? Isn't that a great summation of grace so far? Now, tonight, as we conclude Romans 8, and we're going to conclude this section on grace, it's this. Um, who shall separate me from the love of Christ? And we're going to cover the last text of verse 39 tonight. Praise God. Well, maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ by faith. Believe in him. Respond to the gospel by faith in Jesus alone, apart from church and religion and rituals and your own good works. Believe in Jesus. Put your faith in him, your confidence, your trust in him. Respond appropriately. If you're a believer, now that you have heard this word, respond positively. Make it move you to action. Do not stay settled because next time you hear God's word, it's going to be a little fainter and your heart's going to, it's going to be a little harder. Break the stony ground in the hard heart. Humble yourself. Receive this truth and, and give all to Christ. Give everything. What shall we say then to these things? Here's what we say. I give you my life, Father. I give you my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Do what you want with me. Send me where you want. You want me to learn another language and reach another people? Do it. Father, you want me here? You want me working a regular job here? Do it. Whatever you want, I'm good with. I mean, that's the attitude. We need to respond. Father, thank you for this text. It is glorious and it is challenging. Five questions that we covered about your great grace. Oh, may we respond like David in Psalm 27. You said, seek your face, Lord. 
Oh, and I respond, Lord, your face I will seek. I will look to you for strength and for guidance now and forever. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for keeping us. And may Jesus come for his bride soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise God. Thank you all for being here.